All right, my friends, it's 7 o'clock. I invite you to find your seat. It is good to see you tonight. It is weird it being dark so early. What happened? It happened in one week. The time change. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, don't forget to mute your phone. You probably have a phone, and someone's going to call you. And uh, so if you mute that, it'll make tonight go a little easier. On the right-hand side of the room, there's probably a clipboard in, on each of those rows. If sometime tonight you'd grab that clipboard and pass it down the rows, that'll just uh, help us uh, keep you up to date on what's happening here around Grace. Why don't we uh, jump in and begin with prayer this evening? Well, God, we thank you that we can study your Bible, and uh, I pray that you would um, help us who've had... Um, either a, a busy day or a challenging day or a distracting day. I pray that you'd help um, us uh, focus upon your word. And I pray that your word would be the thing that, um, that guides us tonight, uh, that your Bible would be the thing that, um, that gives us the trajectory for our righteousness, the, the, the way that we live our lives, the or the, the, the reproof or the correction needed to get back on the right path. We pray that your word does this tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 13? Genesis 13. Don't freak out. We are going to study Genesis 18 and 19 is our chapters tonight. But Genesis chapter 13 is going to get us where we want uh, to go tonight. As you're finding Genesis 13, just want to remind you where we were last week. Last week was God's covenant made with Abraham. God's covenant made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, that he would be the father of many peoples, that he would be the father of many nations, and that's where his name came from, the father of many and that he and his descendants would own and occupy the land, the Abrahamic covenant. And there was always a seal or a symbol of the covenants that God made, uh, like, with, uh, like, like, a, like a sign that the, the contract was still in effect, that, 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 that what was happening was currently active. And so, like, for instance, the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God made with Noah that I will not flood the entire world at any one time ever again, there was a sign or a symbol that came with that, and that was the rainbow. And so there was a sign or a symbol, uh, a seal of the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 17 last week. And what was that symbol or sign? No one wants to say it. What was the sign? Circumcision. Okay, the the Noah one. Did I get confused? The 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 Noah was the rainbow. Abraham is not the rainbow. Abraham is a circumcision. Okay, are we clear on that? All right. So we last left Abraham getting circumcised at ninety nine years old. So he's been resting on the couch since last Wednesday, and now we're now we're back. But imagine that. Imagine the faithfulness of, of Abraham. He was promised 25 years late. He headed out on this trip 25 years earlier, promised years even before that about all these things. Headed on the, out on this trip for 25 years. He hasn't seen any 
results from this promise for 25 years. He doesn't even have the son that's going to turn into many generations, has none of it. And yet, he ups and goes out and immediately gets circumcised at 99 years old. This is why Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament as a faithful man. He believed what God said. He believed it. And even though he hadn't seen it for 25 years, Abraham said, all right, if this is the sign that the, the, the contract is in effect, I'm in. Let's do this. And so that's where we last left Abraham. Now tonight, I'd like to do it a little differently. We're still following the life of Abraham, but the events of tonight don't really focus on Abraham. The events of tonight focus on his nephew, Lot. Remember, nephew, his nephew is the, the, the son of his brother. His, Abraham's brother died. And so Abraham effectively kind of adopted Lot, his nephew, to be, uh, to, to be his adopted son. And so on this trip, Lot has been with him this entire time. Probably you've heard of Lot. And I'd suspect that as a result of the events that we're going to read tonight, you might have a negative view of Lot, and I would understand that. Now, God, 2,000 years after the events of what we are reading tonight, God talks about Lot in the New Testament. And I want to show it to you. I have it on the screen just so that you don't have to look it up. But this is what God says in 2 Peter about Lot. It says this, If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he, that's God, rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, the unprincipled men, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. So whatever view you have of Lot, God views him as righteous Lot. He is a godly man. He, he's an Old Testament believer. We are going to see Lot in heaven. You will meet Lot someday, hopefully, if you get around to everybody. You'll have all of eternity. So probably you'll meet Lot. He is an Old Testament believer. And that's an important foundation kind of for, for, for tonight. The main point tonight is it, it's amazing how the good can go so bad. That's going to be kind of the overarching theme of tonight. It's amazing how the good can go so bad. I wish I knew this when I was 14 years old. When I was 14 years old, I entered a public race at the Redlands Bicycle Classic. Have you ever heard of the Redlands Bicycle Classic? Okay, in Redlands, for the uninitiated, in Redlands, every year they have a bicycle race of... The, the the pros from around the pro teams from around the world you know the tour de france guys the tour of spain guys they come to redlands once a year and they have a week long uh race and it's kind of like spring training for them and it's really fun to go to really interesting i grew up going and watching 
the races at the Redlands Bicycle Classic. And on Saturday in the morning before the professional races, they allow the public to have races. And so you have all these various segments. You have toddlers do their little, um, you know, little tricycles down the main street. And then, but then it gets to older age kids, and you know, they have the you know, boys 14 to 16 race and the girls 14 to 16 race. And, and the races are really short, like five miles. And in a bike, that's really short. And so, but it's, but it's a race and I couldn't, I wanted to race in the Redlands Bicycle Classic so bad. So I finally saved enough money. I bought a, a, a race bike, at least that I could afford. And I practiced all year long, got ready for the Redlands Bicycle Classic. I was 14 years old. So I was in the 14 to the 16 category. And so, boom, here we are ready to go. And so the horn blows and, and things go good. The, the beginning of the race is all downhill and I'm like in the pack. It's going a lot faster than I expected it to go. But I'm in the pack, and I'm headed cruising down the hill. Basically, the race is one long downhill and then one long uphill to the finish. Yeah, you can already see where this is going. I mean, I don't really have to, I don't have to really paint the picture too clearly. So, headed downhill, going great. We turn, we turn the corner, we're going up the hill. Things are going okay. I'm not in the front of the pack. I'm slowly kind of sliding towards the, the rear of the but I'm still with the pack. But the hill is just long, you know. A, a three-mile-long hill is a long hill when you didn't quite expect it to be like this. And so finally, I dropped the pack, and, and the guys who were way behind me are now passing me. And, and after a while, I feel like I am the only one back here. <laughs> finally kind of cresting the hill, getting close to the, to the finish line, and... And I could hear a bike behind me. I'm like, okay, at least I'm not the last one. And as that person passed me, it, it wasn't a boy. The girls' race that started five minutes after our race is now beginning to pass me. And so I didn't finish last in the guys' race I finished mid-pack girls race. <laughs> it's amazing how you can start off so good and it end up so bad. And so Lot's life is, is kind of like that. We find a man who is overtaken by something that he didn't expect. And maybe, maybe it's something that you didn't expect either. Lot found himself overtaken by greed. That's what he found himself overtaken by, greed. And the point tonight is that even a righteous person can be overtaken by greed. Lot was a righteous man, but he was overtaken by this. Anyone, even a righteous man, can be overtaken by greed. Now, you might say, no, that's not me. I, I'm not a greedy person. I, I, I don't, I'm not a spender. I like to save money, and I'm not, I'm not out there spending. I'm not trying to accumulate a whole bunch of stuff. That's not me. I'm not greedy. Now, hey, I'm with you. I am 100% on your team. I am, I am all for saving. I was born with like a saving money gene. I don't, I don't know where I got it or how I got it, but I have the, the gene, the, the DNA gene of don't spend money, save it. And when my parents taught me about how to, how to take care of money and save money, I mean, it just clicked with me so quickly. When my, my parents, when I'd go to summer camp, like in elementary or junior high school, they'd give me money, you know, buy a T-shirt, buy nachos, whatever. 
I didn't spend any of it. I, I kept it, took it home, saved it. When I'd get birthday money when I was a kid, I put it in a, I had a savings account in elementary school. Imagine being married to this, you know? I mean, <laughs> spend no money. When, when I got into high school, started mowing lawns, didn't spend that money, I saved it. Then I got a, then I got a job, didn't spend that money, I, sa- I saved it. My, my bank account was big. And it's actually with that money, like that lawn mowing money, birthday money, that I ended up buying Tanya's, uh, Tanya's uh, engagement ring with all of that money. So like, I am with you. You know, I'm not, I'm not greedy. I'm not looking to, to, to spend money. But you can be greedy on any, either side of the greed. You know, you can, you can be greedy on, this, on the spender side for sure. But you can be equally greedy on the, on the not, not spending money side too. And, it, and, and it's even more of a potential for the saver than it is for the spender. It is like quicksand that as it pulls you in, it's hard to get yourself out. And Lot finds himself in a spot just like that. And so tonight is about a man overtaken by greed. And I know I don't usually do a lot of application on Wednesday nights. Usually it's just straight going through Scripture, but... There are some things that I've learned in this, and there are four questions that it's good to ask yourself just to identify where, where you stand on this greed scale, because I can identify with some of these. I have been tripped up by some of these, and it's possible that you have too. Lot certainly was as well. So you could ask yourself these four questions just to help you know, like, where do I stand on this greed scale? Am I, am I really greedy? Um, can I identify with some of these? First thing to ask yourself is, do I make most of my decisions based on the financial impact? Do I make most of my decisions based on the financial impact of that decision? Like, it costs too much, so we're not. Or, that's really cheap, and so I'm going to buy it even if I don't need it. Does the financial impact, I don't make enough money, and so I'm going to move jobs. Is the financial impact the impetus for most of your decision-making? I don't make enough here, and so we're going to move to another state where my money goes further. Those kinds of things. See, th- this is either for the, the, the spender or the saver. So are most of my decisions predicated on financial, the financial aspect, the financial impact of it? Secondly, do I tend to put like economic opportunity in front of my family? Like, my kids will understand why I haven't been around because I could send them to a really good college after I work all these extra hours. Um, yes, it's 80 hours a week right now, but my wife will understand when there's a better retirement to come. Like, like those kinds of things. So first one is, do I make most of my decisions based on financial impact? Do I, do I put the opportunity financially over my family? The third one is, I would rather be anything but poor. I'd rather be anything but poor. I'd rather be sick. I'd rather be a liar. I would rather be uh, spiritually weak than be be poor. I'd rather have a bad marriage than be poor. I'd rather be a bad parent than be poor. See, that's the saver side, that's the spender side, and that's the saver side. I'd I'd rather do any of that. And the last one is... Do I plan on being generous someday? Do I plan on being generous someday? Because if you say yes to that, 
that means you're just looking for just a little bit more. But the problem is, the little bit more just never comes. And so these four things are things that really trapped Lot. And, and I've experienced these in, in my past. It, 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 being so focused on money can drag you into this, this thing even when you're trying to stay away from it. And so that's where Lot is. Okay, so we're in Lot, uh, we're in Lot chapter 13. We're in chapter 13 just to get, just to get our ramps going uh, here. Okay, so in chapter 13, we have these two characters. We have Abraham, we're familiar with Abraham, and we have Lot, the nephew of Abraham, the brother's son. And Abraham, as he adopted this adopted son of his brother, he was so generous to him, and he, 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 he started him off with a family business. And of course, that was with having animals, being a herdsman. So Genesis 13, verse 7, there's now a problem with the herds that have grown between Abraham and Lot. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the, and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. He wanted to be close, but he realized that the family businesses couldn't coexist because there was just, a, there was just not enough natural resources to sustain all of the herds. Someone had to go somewhere else so that the herds could continue to grow and be sustained. And so, verse 9, this is what Abraham says to Lot. So, I'm oh, sorry, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Uh, uh, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. And this is showing Abraham's generosity. He doesn't have to do it like this. He, he was the older one in the situation. And in this culture, the older one always got the better. The older brother got the, the, the double portion of the blessing. The, the older person at the table, when they passed the meat around the table, would always get the meat plate first and pick, pick their own meat. And so it was always the older person in the culture that had the... That they, they, they could choose first. And so Abraham could have chosen the best place, but he didn't out of his generosity, out of his love for Lot, wanting nothing but the best for Lot. He says, you choose the best place and you go. And so verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. So Lot moved. What was the reason that Lot moved to the valley of the Jordan? It's the best spot. As a matter of fact, it says, um, uh, let's see here, uh, verse, uh, verse 11. So Lot chose from south the valley of the Jordan, uh, and Lot journeyed eastward, thus separated from each other. Abram said in the land of Canaan, Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. And it mentions somewhere in here that um, it is like the, the place is like the, the, the garden, that it's like the garden of, of Eden. Which, which, which verse is that? Verse, verse 10? Yeah, thank you. See, that, I, I, I need your help there. Yeah, there it is. Like the garden of the Lord, verse 10. This is like the garden of Eden. He's like, this is obviously the best choice. This is obviously the most financially beneficial place to go. That was the reason he made this decision. This works for my business best. I'm going to go there. It was the best economic opportunity for him. And wouldn't you have chosen the same thing? You given the choice. You choose the best economic option that's out there. And so he heads in this direction. Now, Lot already had a lot. 
He was already wealthy. It wasn't like he was poor and destitute and this is the only thing that he could find. God had already given him everything that he had. He had already recognized that God is the one that gave him everything. But once he had everything that God had given him, he's like, oh, maybe there's a little bit more out there too. And so he goes out and he, starts, he finds the best spot and he heads towards the, the, best, the best spot. Verse 13 then, Now the men of Sodom were wicked and exceeding wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now it says here that the people in the direction that he is heading, in some, in some uh, passages says that, or, or in some translations it uses the phrase that he is near Sodom. So in the direction that he is heading are these very wicked people. Now, we, of course, we know about the homosexuality, but the, the prophet Ezekiel talks about other things that, that the Sodomites were known for. One was their arrogance, and another one of their characteristics was being greedy. And the way that their greed was seen was by not providing for the poor in their city. And so they're greeting people. Now, I don't know how much Lot knew about all of the isms and the issues of the people that he was going to, though as we read these passages, the implication is he knew that, that at least something was awry, that, that something was wrong. We don't know how much he knew about what was going on, but he was certainly willing to risk it. He was willing to risk a little bit of wickedness if I could have this huge financial opportunity, this huge benefit to my business. And so he moved close to Sodom. Now, it wasn't moving close to Sodom that was the problem. It was why he moved to Sodom that was the problem. Tanya and I, we had some friends a long time ago. I mean, I guess they're still friends, but a long time ago, we had some friends who were strong Christians move to Las Vegas. And they had a lot of Christian friends saying, why are you moving to Las Vegas? You know, a a dirty place, insinuating that Las Vegas was worse than the place that they were living in already, and it's not any worse or better. There's evil wherever you go. So the problem wasn't for... Lot that he, that he did, it was wh- why he why he did. The 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 Las Vegas or the Sodom in the in New in the New Testament would be Corinth. And we have Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. We have Las Vegas today, and we have Corinth in the New Testament. Those would all probably be similar types of cities, and. In the New Testament in Corinth, there are two letters written to those people in Corinth, and they are taught how to live as Christians, as believers, in Corinth. Those letters don't say move from Corinth. The problem wasn't the fact that they were living in Corinth. Those letters were written how to live as Christians while they were there. The problem with Lot wasn't that he moved there. It was why he moved there. The, the, the financial reasonings, he just wanted more than God had already given him. Now, as problems go, he has some more problems. Ver, chapter 14, verse 11, remember he's kidnapped by those, <laughs> by those other kings. Then, he took the, then they took the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. So he had gone from being far away from Sodom, uh, living with what he had been given by God. Then he moves near Sodom, and now he's in Sodom. 
And we're going to find he even takes another step tonight, too. So that leads us to chapter 18, which is really the focus uh, for tonight, chapter 18 and 19. Verse 1 of, of chapter 18. Now, this is back to Abraham for a minute, like a little Abraham break here, all right? Now, the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. Remember the oaks of Mamre? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up our... our um, I remember our map that we had before, and I now have a little uh, red, so I don't have to walk over there. Yeah, a lot of you had comments about how I needed to have a little clicker like this, but none of you did anything about it, except Bob and Helena. They didn't say anything to me. They just showed up. They took care. They saw the problem and took care of the problem. So thank you. All of us benefit from it, and I don't have to get up anymore. That's good. But anyway, now we have the red clicker. And remember, it was up here near Bethel Ai where Lot and Abram separated. And Lot went east over here to the, to the Jordan Valley and Sodom is somewhere in this area. I, I've put Sodom here. This is the assumed place where Sodom is. I mean, it's not there anymore, and we know why. It's not there anymore, so we don't know exactly where it was, but this is the estimated area. Obviously, in a river valley, it's much greener, much better for herds than, than in, the, in the desert. But after the tour of Cain and the tour of the Promised Land, you remember that Abraham ended up here at the oak, the oak grove, the oaks, the oaks of Mamre here in Hebron. And so that's where he has been the entire time. And so now we pick Abraham back up there in verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him, meaning Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. Yeah, because that's where his house was. And while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day, when he lifted his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now, these aren't just men. Um, these are two angels and Jesus Christ. That's, that's who these people are. Two angels accompanied by Jesus Christ. So while Lot is on his <laughs> infamous uh, journey over here... Uh, Abraham is in Mamre, and Jesus and these two angels meet up with Abraham. And so we pick the conversation up in verse 9. And they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, well, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door <laughs> because, I mean, you know, you want to know what's going on. You know, when two angels and Jesus show up, you kind of want to put the cup to the door and find out what's going on. And let's just say the tents aren't quite um, soundproof. And so she's listening in on the conversation that's happening here. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. And Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? 
At the appointed time, I will return to you, and this time next year, Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied it. (laughs) Why are you arguing with Jesus? But anyway, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) No, I, I know you laughed. Okay, so remember, they had already tried to have a child together. They, they know of this promise that there's, there's going to be multi, multitude of offspring, and, and you've got to start with one. So they've tried, and it failed, didn't work. And so then they tried to make it another way through uh, the, 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 the maid of Sarah, and that was an illegitimate child. Ishmael came from that one, and Ishmael was not the promised one. That was, that was not going to be through Ishmael. It was going to be through Abraham and Sarah. That was the promise. And so now the, the two angels and Jesus are coming back to announce, okay, now it's going to happen. They're announcing Isaac. He is the second of the four patriarchs that we're going to follow through uh, this great Old Testament book of Genesis. Uh, the, 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 the founders, really, of um, the, 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 is, the nation of Israel, as then we read about it in the rest of the Old, Old Testament. And so they tell Abraham and his wife, Sarah, you're going to have this child. And you can see they're, they're chuckling in this conversation because like, <laughs> it's just not going to happen, angels, right? Jesus, you don't quite know, um, but it's not working for us. And they just couldn't fathom. They were, they were long past the age where they could uh, bear children. But Jesus confirms that it's going to happen by this time next year. You're going to have a little rug rat running around, and I'm going to say, I told you so, um, a year from now. So Jesus and the two angels, they, they get up and they begin to, to head out. But as they're heading out, verse 16, Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord, this is Jesus, says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? <laughs> like asking the angels out loud, um, should I tell Abraham what's going on? Skip down to verse 20. And he decides to tell Abraham, verse 20, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I'll know. And so Jesus says, all right, uh, I, we're going to go down there, and we're going to find out if what I think is happening is really happening. Now, the, the term Sodom now has become a word infamous in our vocabulary for one of the worst sexual sins there is, and it all comes from these events that we are going to read tonight, because certainly there is evil. Jesus doesn't not know what's happening. He's just saying, hey, we're going to go take care of business. And that's where they're headed next, verse 23. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, who's he talking about there? Right. Remember, Lot's a righteous man. He's a believer. He's saved. And, and he loves Lot. He, he wants nothing but the best for Lot. He's provided for Lot all along the way. Remember, he had to go rescue Lot from the kidnappers once already. And so now he finds out that the Lord's just going to take him out (laughs) in a heartbeat. And so verse 24, suppose, Abram says, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. 
Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the... Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Question mark. So the Lord said, okay, fine. If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And so Abraham starts to negotiate with God, trying to save his nephew Lot's life um, that is there. And so he just kind of picks like an arbitrary number. I'm mean, like, what if there are 50 people there who are righteous? You're going to kill them all? I mean, that, that, that's fair. He tries to put, put the, uh, you know, mother guilt trip on God. I mean, you would never do something like that, would you? <laughs> so Jesus says, fine, if there are 50. So then Abraham replied, verse 27, Now, behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose... The 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of the five? And he, Jesus, says, I'll not destroy it if I find 45 there. So Abraham says, okay, so what if five of them are like on vacation? You're going to take out the entire city because one family went to Disneyland? That, that's not fair. Far be it from you, God. So he's so fine, 45, I'm good. So he whittles God all the way down to verse 32. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Yeah, not only this once, Abraham, you've been speaking a lot here. <laughs> Suppose 10 are found there, 10. And so he said, I, Jesus, Jesus, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. So he gets down to 10. Now, why do you think Abraham stopped at 10? He's like doing the math. Okay, we've got Lot, his wife, you know, his kids, his girls are about to get married, you know. Okay, so we'll be, we'll be good at 10. You know, it's kind of funny how we assume that the kids of somebody are just saved automatically because they're a part of the family. We sh should not assume that. Sometimes even, you know, those of us who bring our kids to church all the time, we just kind of assume, like, just because our kids are here, like, they're just automatically saved. But they aren't. And, but anyway, he stops, at, he stops at 10. Could he have gone further? Probably. <laughs> we won't ever know because he didn't. He just stopped negotiating too early. Um, but he stops negotiating there. Well, why don't we stop here for our cookie break, and uh, we'll get back at this uh, once we're done with cookies. And Okay, well, Genesis 19, the Lord goes back to heaven, and the angels, they head down to Sodom. And so that's the passage that we're here where the angels head into Sodom. Verse 19, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And Lot saw them and he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. He, he, he 
he was far from Sodom, then he went near Sodom, then he was in Sodom, and now he's sitting at the gates of Sodom. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, like if I was sitting like at the church's front gate when you showed up, sitting on the side, you'd like think I lost my job, like I got fired or something. But in, in this culture, sitting at the gate meant that he had some sort of political position, some sort of political power, maybe like a judge or something. That's actually mentioned a little later on about an accusation, like a sarcastic accusation of you saying you really are a judge and this kind of thing. And so he had some sort of political position, some sort of political power, because it was at the front gate where all of this, the decisions were, were made. And so imagine what's happening here. He's got all of this wealth that God has given him. And the herdsmen are out in the plains outside of the city managing everything that God has given him. And now he's in the city collecting more. I, now he's got the power. Now he has the position. He, ha, he has what God, now he is even going for it more. Verse 2 And he said to them, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night. And wash your feet, then you rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we shall spend the night in the square. And he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered the house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Obviously, he knew something about Sodom. He's trying to protect them from something in Sodom. We don't have to read too long to find out what he was protecting them from, verse 4. Before they, meaning the angels, went to bed, before they lie down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the, and all the people from every quarter. And they called out to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Now, we understand what's happening here. We don't include this part like on a Sunday morning with, you know, the <laughs> second graders, all right? Um, but, but we can understand the depravity that's happening here. The men calling out to the men, we, we, we want to perpetrate sexual evil against them. And, you know, I mean, it's a, we are in page 20 of human history. You know, we say, man, things are so bad. It used to be so good, and now it's so bad. Are you talking? Are you crazy? It's always been bad. Always. It has always been this way. And, and so what we see today in our culture is just, <laughs> it, it's just more of what was on page 20. I mean, imagine the, the volumes of human history that have been written. The vo- the, just to stack them up would, would be enormously high. We're just on page 20. And we've seen how, how evil it, it, really, it really is, verse 6. But when Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him, he said, Please, brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with the man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you like to them. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now this is Unbelievable. He starts out as a righteous man, far from the city of Sodom. He moves near it. He moves in it. He is sitting at the gate, and now he is offering his daughters to be raped by these men. It is amazing how the good can go so bad. But that's, that's not it. But they, meaning the, the, the men who were, who were banging down his door, said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came... 
uh, in as an alien and is already acting like a judge. And so that's where at least there's an, impl- an assumption that he might have been a judge, his political position might have been judging, but who knows. Now we will treat you worse than them. And so they pressed hard against Lot and came near uh, uh, to break the door. Those, these men wanted to have nothing to do with, with virgin girls, nothing. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands. These are now the two angels that are in the house, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They, those two angels, struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. (laughs) They just kind of got lost and they couldn't find the doorway anymore. Let's keep reading. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because of their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of this place, and the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-laws to be jesting. He has lost completely all credibility. <laughs> his, his sons-in-law um, or future sons-in-law um, don't even believe him. He's lost godly credibility. He's lost practical credibility, spiritual credibility, and his sons just blew him off, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. If all of this isn't crazy enough, I mean, wouldn't at this point you have two angels saying it's going to be destroyed? Wouldn't you leave? But he hesitated. He's in the quicksand. He, he, he's, he's realizing that everything he has ever amassed, if he leaves, everything that he has ever accumulated is going to be gone, nothing. So there's a hesitation there. Verse 23, skip down a little bit. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire and the Lord, uh, from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities that grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him Looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Everyone imagines this like in a different way, you know. And, and, you know, you imagine Lot running, you know, and his poor wife is trying to keep up and she just doesn't have a leg that aren't as long. And I, I can't walk as fast as you slow down for me, honey. Unless I'm, I'm getting out of here. But it's something more than that. There's something about something that she did that it wasn't just her legs weren't long enough and, and couldn't and, and was behind Lot. We don't know what it was. Did, did she stop to, to kind of reevaluate? Do I really want to leave this place? Nothing has happened yet, so what makes me think? Did she turn around to go back and get something? We don't really know exactly what happened here. Why, why was she behind Lot in this process? And, <laughs> you know, this is one of those stories where the skeptics say, look, this is too Lord of the Rings for me. Like, I, I don't really think this really happened. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good story to tell your kids to scare them into obeying you as a parent, and it is really good for that. You better obey me or else. But I believe this really happened. And the reason that I believe this really happened is because Jesus believed that it happened. Let me read something, something to you from Luke. You don't have to turn there. You don't have time for that. But Luke 19, or Luke uh, chapter 17 um, verse 29. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. These are Jesus's words. It rained down brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember, Lot's wife. So Lot's wife did something like Jesus mentions here, to go back and get something, to turn back to, for whatever reason. But she is the cautionary tale in this. Don't be like Lot's wife in, in all of this. Now, that's not all. Verse 30, Lot went up from Zohar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar, and they stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. They're living in a cave. Imagine this. An enormously wealthy man. All of these things that are given to him by God. He had everything that he could ever have wanted, but he wanted just a little bit more. And so he heads near Sodom. He ends up in Sodom. He ends up at the gate of Sodom. But the Bible tells us in Peter that his soul is distressed this entire time by all of the things that, that he is seeing and watching and surrounding with the, the entire time. It's, it's crushing his, his soul, and yet he's hardening his heart to it all because I could just get a little bit more out of this entire deal. And where does this all end up? Having nothing living homeless in a cave. It's amazing how the good can go so bad. He had everything that God had offered, but he just wanted the best of what the world has too. And that, that, it, it is easy for believers. We have everything that the Lord offers us. We have salvation. We have an enormous grace from God. He, he has removed our sins from us, and we certainly didn't deserve that. Our, our sin, the past sin, the present, even the future sin, is far, is, as far as the east is from the west, and try to measure that. And we have everything that God, God offers, the best of everything that God has to offer. And so then sometimes Christians say, okay, yeah, now that I have that, now let me see also what the world has to offer. Let me see what, what else there is out there. And so... It's easy to, to, to look down on Lot, but it is very easy for this to happen to anyone who is righteous, who is in, who's in Christ. Now, even worse things happen while they're in this cave. Verse 31, Then the firstborn said to the younger, the daughters that are with him, the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us for the manner of the earth. So come, let us make our father drink wine and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. You know, their husbands are now dead or if they were the, their fiancés, they're gone. The sons-in-law, 
gone. And so they're realizing, okay, if our family line is going to continue, we need to have a child from somewhere. And so let's get our father drunk and our father is going to make us a child. And so they made their father drink wine, verse 33, at night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The insinuation is here that she's completely drunk and out of it, has no idea what's even happening. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him a drink of wine tonight also. And then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve our family. And so, of course, they do that. Verse 36, Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn was a son and called him Moab, and, he, and he's the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites today. Now, obviously, these are like the gory details. This isn't like a part of the Sunday school curriculum here. Um, but it is crazy that he ends up fathering the future enemies of Israel. You go from a righteous man who had everything that God provided for him, and then he, and then he just, one look at what else he could get that was the, the best option out there, and he heads there, and he moves near it, and then he's in it, and he is then overwhelmed by it, he ends up in a cave with his daughters, impregnating them, and now he produces the offspring that are going to be the, the oppressors of his very own people. It's amazing how the good can go so bad. Now, the, these people groups, the, the, the children of these people groups, they're not, not like totally condemned. You have the Moabites. Who do you know, know of that's a Moabite? Ruth, yeah, we studied Ruth uh, last prime time. She, she became a part of the, the, um, the, the a- ancestry of Jesus Christ. Then we have the, the uh, Ammon, the Ammonites. Well, one of um, Solomon's wives is an Ammonite, and she becomes the mother of King Rehoboam, who is also part of the ancestral line of Jesus Christ. Kind of interesting. Now, of course, Lot's decision to go to Sodom was the bad decision. It was the wrong decision. And if there is any, any event in Scripture that, that illustrates the saving grace of God, it is this story. If, if salvation had anything to do with the works that Lot did, he would have lost his salvation immediately. This also speaks to the eternal security that a person has. I mean, if you could lose it, Lot would have lost it. 2,000 years later, God says, he's a righteous man. Not because he was righteous at all. We could tell how righteous he really is. But it's not because of his own righteousness. It's because of God's righteousness that he would be called that in the first place. It's a wonderful story to remind us the, the graciousness of God's salvation. It's time to close. Well, God, we thank you for the, the truth that we have here tonight. We thank you for your preservation of, of Lot's uh, life eternally, and we praise you for 
our preservation of our life eternally too through your son. We praise you for that. We thank you for these words tonight. And God, I, I do pray that these words would, would um, affect our heart in a way that would uh, teach us or reprove us or correct us or help us to know how to live a righteous life. So we ask that it would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends, 8 o'clock. I'll see you on Sunday.